Well, thanks very much, Adam and Carissa, for leading us this evening. Um, I went on a, a school camp last week. We took out the Year 10s uh, out past Gatton in the Lockyer Valley, and it was a boot camp. And we had a fantastic time. We did lots of fun things, lots of team-building activities, lots of mud and buggies, building pontoon bridges, having rope swings into the dam. And the students did really well. They did awesome, actually. They were sleeping in tents, cooking their own food. And I want to give a big shout-out to Hannah Smith and to Kelsey Rickman. I think Kelsey's still recovering. They did so good. I've just got to share one story. Right at the end, the last activity we did, we had a flower bomb fight, okay? Now, it's not just flour. It's flour mixed with pollard to lighten it. So pollard's, you know, the husks they give horses. And you just put it in a little white paper bag. So it doesn't really hurt, but it looks pretty impressive when it explodes. Anyways, you know, it was the staff versus the students. They were trying to capture the hill. And I was trying to aim it at someone just when Kelsey ran across, ducking down. And I got a right flush in the jaw. And you should have seen the look of shock on her face. I felt so bad. Not Kelsey. But she was okay. She's such a trooper. Anyway, by the end of the camp, uh, everyone was pretty tired but really happy. They'd done so well, they'd achieved their team-building task. I mean, we were going through mud up to our waist with water up to our neck, carrying a stretcher with a live person in it, four groups. One of the people was actually Kelsey Rickman herself. Um, so everyone was pretty tired, pretty happy. We didn't get away till about 3 o'clock on Friday Arvo, which is usually the time around about when school finishes for the day. But you know what, how it goes. On the way home, we had to go through Brisbane on a Friday afternoon. We all know what that means. Lots of traffic. We just passed through the last set of lights in Castledine, you know, coming up the road. You beauty, it should be 100 k's an hour. No, it was just gridlock. Uh, Bumper to bumper traffic. It was taking ages to get everyone back to school. People were really keen to get home, have a hot shower, some good home cooking. Anyway, I was at the front of the bus and I saw this ambulance going up the side with its lights flashing. And I thought, oh no, there must have been an accident. I hope everyone's okay. And then I thought again, I hope they can move the cars quick, which is pretty bad. (laughs) Uh, And then, you know, those paramedic station wagons? Then, about three minutes later, we saw one of them just zooming past. So it wasn't the big ambulance, but the paramedic station wagon. I thought, oh no, this must be really serious when those ones come along. So can you just imagine what you'd be thinking if you came across the scene of an accident? Uh, You'd be desperate. You'd be desperate for medical help to arrive. If you've done your first aid training, you might be doing CPR. But for those who are critically injured, whose life is gradually ebbing away, CPR is just not going to cut it, isn't it? If you're one of those paramedics in those vehicles, you're desperate to get to the scene of that accident as soon as possible. Every second counts. And peak hour on a Friday afternoon doesn't help. You're desperate to save a life. Now, what does it mean to be desperate? It could be that feeling last Sunday night, right at the end of the grand final between the Broncos and the Cowboys. Everyone knows JT is going to go for the field goal, but there's nothing you can do about it. And lo and behold, he got the field goal and good on him. But the desperation that we see in tonight's reading is even more serious than a game of footy, as important as that was. What we see tonight is even more important than a game of footy. Here we have sick people without hope. Let's be honest, there was zero possibility of getting better. 
Suddenly, the news spreads like wildfire. Jesus has just showed up. And everyone had heard of the things that Jesus was doing. Can you imagine the scene? People knew that this was their one shot at getting better. Those who were suffering with leprosy. The blind who lived in constant darkness, relying on other people to get around. The crippled who couldn't walk because of paralysis, lying their whole life on a bed, no hope. There's people who had constant hemorrhaging internally. Those tragically afflicted by demons. And so the fate of these precious people, people precious in God's sight, was one of silent resignation. They didn't have all the U-Butte medical facilities we have today, all the treatments we have available. You just had to get through each day as best you could, relying upon your family, relying upon your friends to ease your suffering. And it's this sort of desperation that leads people to bring the sick, the chronically ill, to Jesus. So tonight... I want to ask you, are you a desperate person? Are we desperate for Jesus? What does this short passage mean for us today about healing? That's a big question, isn't it? So I think we should pray first, and then we'll look at this very short passage, okay? Let's pray. Our gracious Father, we do thank you that you are a good God who loves us more than we can understand We thank you for your word and we pray that your Holy Spirit might quicken our hearts, that all of us might be challenged and convicted and encouraged by the word that you would have for us tonight in Mark's Gospel. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we're continuing on our series through the Gospel of Mark, uh, the biography of Jesus' life that John Mark wrote. We know that the central theme is that Jesus has come into this world declaring that the kingdom of God is at hand. And in response, Jesus declares that all should repent and believe in the good news. Mark 1, 14 and 15. And in a dramatic series of events, Jesus is demonstrating that the kingdom rule of God, God's good rule, was breaking into this sometimes dark world with all of its trials and challenges. This caused a massive upheaval in Jewish society. People were struggling, struggling big time. Most of them poor farmers, suffering under the iron rule of the imperial Roman army. They were longing for their Messiah to show up. So when Jesus turns up, many people hoped against hope that he would be their saviour. And already we've seen Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He backed up this message with incredible miracles. Just in this chapter alone, we've seen Jesus feeding 5,000 people with only five barley loaves and two fish. We see Jesus literally walking on water and then immediately calming the wind. Earlier, Jesus had sent out the 12 in pairs to prepare the way. They urged repentance to decisively turn away from their sin. And the disciples were given authority over unclean spirits, demons. They were able to heal the sick. So it's no wonder 
that the crowds of people flocked to hear Jesus wherever he went in the area around the Sea of Galilee. And so that brings us to our short passage tonight, uh, which sort of concludes all the amazing miracles that Jesus did in Mark chapter 6. I'll just read verses 53 to 55 if you've got your Bibles open there. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret, and they moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognised him and ran about the whole region. They began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. So remember the last week, being battered by the wind at night, the disciples and Jesus finally arrive on the shore at a place called Gennesaret. Okay, time for a bit of map looking. I've got the pointer. So there's Nazareth, the hometown of Jesus. There's the Sea of Galilee, obviously. And Jesus' headquarters for his ministry was Capernaum, the main place on the northern shore. So we know that Jesus was healing and feeding the 5,000 over here. And this is where he's landed here at Gennesaret, okay? So that just gives you your bearings. <clears throat> and that's a picture of what it's like in that region today. Um, so the area around Gennesaret was very fertile, so there's many people living throughout this region. Okay, someone recognised Jesus had arrived. The news spread rapidly. We remember back in Mark 2, Jesus had healed a paralysed man. And so you can just imagine the message. Quick, bring the sick down to see Jesus. Maybe they'll be healed like that paralysed man. The urgency is palpable in this passage. Immediately the people recognising Jesus, they ran to spread the news. They picked up the sick off their beds. Let me just show some pictures here. Um, They brought them on their beds to where Jesus would be. And as verse 56 tells us, wherever Jesus came, in villages, in cities, or the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Now this is a fascinating little summary paragraph. And it's fascinating for a couple of reasons. There's no mention of Jesus preaching in these three or four verses. Because we know, going back to chapter 1, verse 38, that this was Jesus' primary purpose. Uh, Jesus said in 138, Let's go to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Yet, given the desperation of people to be healed, Jesus responds with such compassion to the suffering that he sees. Desperate people, precious people in the sight of God, desperate to be healed, Jesus responds with compassion. I love looking up the meaning of words, I'm a bit of a geek like that. And apparently compassion comes from the Latin. It's just a combination of two words which means simply to suffer with, to endure with. Jesus was filled with compassion and he healed them in response to their extraordinary faith. He allowed all those who touched the fringe of his garment to be healed 
And that brings to mind Mark chapter 5, that dear lady who was afflicted for 12 years who thought, if only I can touch his cloak, I will be healed. And what did Jesus say? Daughter, go in peace. Your faith has healed you. You are made well. Now, really, really interestingly for the Greek geeks amongst us is that the very last word in verse 56 can be translated healed or saved. I think the ESV says they were made well, which would fit healed. And I think the context supports that translation because the whole idea of being saved is usually in a spiritual context. But this passage raises a whole number of questions for me and maybe for you as we think about what we can learn from God's word tonight. How are we to respond to chronic illness? You might wonder, why is there so much sickness and suffering in the world? And the biggie for me, I mean, I'm as conservative as it can be. You know, if you think of a spectrum, I'm way over here on the conservative side. But the question for me is, can Jesus heal people today, especially Christians, those of us who are citizens of the kingdom of God? And so, folks, when we look at these really challenging issues, we need a lot of pastoral sensitivity in how we relate to one another. We all know dearly loved family members, precious friends who are suffering, whether it's the terrifying diagnosis of cancer, um, the dark valley of depression, crippling back injuries, unrelenting anxiety, permanent disability or brain injuries. There is very real suffering going on right in our midst in this congregation even. And because I know that we earnestly want to love each other well, we have to be so careful not to be flippant, not to be trite in what we say. We must embrace compassion as Jesus did, to suffer with, to endure with the afflicted. As many of you know, I'm a history teacher at school, and uh, there's a famous English bishop who lived around the time of Spurgeon in England called J.C. Ryle, a great evangelical man, and he wrote this little booklet on the benefits of being sick. Do you think that would be a bestseller? It's actually a fantastic little tract to hunt down or to download off the internet. It's really just so pastorally encouraging. And he said that one of the benefits when we get sick is that it helps us to be much more loving and gentle and sympathetic towards others who have chronic ill health. And that's such a good thing. I hate getting sick. Uh, My wife will tell you that I'm not a good patient. I'm calling in the name of the Lord while I'm on all fours in the bathroom, not wanting to vomit again. It's a very torturous exercise. Uh, So we need great compassion with those who are unwell. So the answer to the first question, how do we respond to those with chronic illness, is that we are to respond with deep compassion, with gentleness and with service. Uh, And this is what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, uh, when as members of the body of Christ, if one member suffers, we all suffer together. In the same way that we share one another's joy, when Adam and Adrian announce their engagement to be married, we celebrate with them same way when one member suffers we all suffer together and I know that many people already do this so well in this church I know that Dale's been organising a food bank for meals when those who are going through a tough time I commend you if that's what your area of service is cooking meals for those doing it tough 
I know many people take the time to simply be with others, just to be there, to be a listening ear. Might be to be an encouraging presence, just to send a little note or a card or a text to say, thinking of you, mate, hang in there. Might be saying an apt word in season. It can be such a blessing. So let's always just be thoughtful how we can encourage those doing it tough. Okay, in many ways, the second question is easy to answer. Why is there so much sickness? Well, I hope we all know the correct theological answer, the biblical answer. We know it's because of the entry of sin into the world because of the rebellion of Adam and Eve. Thanks, guys. Good one. The whole creation is groaning under the hideous effects of sin. And we're not innocent in this as well. Romans 8, 18 to 25, a fantastic passage of hope for those who are struggling. This passage, Romans 8, 18 to 25, makes it crystal clear. Uh, it says that the whole creation is groaning under the weight of sin and it also includes the suffering we individually face as, as well. But just because we know this in our heads, just because we know that the fall has faithfully infected all of creation, including the affliction of our bodies, we still must be so careful in how we love those with chronic illness. It is possible to be theologically correct, but pastorally unloving. Wouldn't it be much better to hold that together? Be theologically correct and pastorally loving. In explaining the curse of sin that came with the fall, we must be so gentle in empathising with those who are suffering greatly. And again, Jesus is the model for us to follow. So let's continue to love each other well as we carry one another's burdens, as we pray for each other, as we serve one another, as we spur one another on in the certain hope that we have the redemption of our bodies when Jesus appears on that glorious day. Now here's the biggie. What about the third question? Can Jesus heal people today? Anyone want to take a stab at that? You won't be in trouble. Hands up, anyone? Let's ask this fine young man there in the blue T-shirt. Only kidding, that's my son. <laughs> He's so handsome, though, isn't he? No. Huge issue. Okay, so let's just get our bearings theologically and biblically. The first thing we have to realise is that the kingdom rule of God has broken into this dark world through the life, death and resurrection of King Jesus. First point. Second point is, but the kingdom of God is not yet fulfilled in all of its glory and majesty and splendor until that glorious day when King Jesus reappears, when everyone acknowledges that he alone is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So if you like, we're living in this in-between time, the overlap of two ages. You might have heard of this illustration for all the people who like wars. We know that once the Allies successfully accomplished D-Day on the 6th of June 1944, the Nazi regime's days were numbered. But it still took until May 1945, 11 months later, for the Nazis to be finally defeated. So Jesus has conquered sin, he's conquered death, he's conquered the devil through his life, death and resurrection. But the kingdom of God won't be fulfilled until Jesus reappears. We're living in this in-between time right now. So there's no doubt whatsoever that God is big. He is powerful. He is able to heal people in Jesus' name through the Holy Spirit. We've had testimonies in this very church 
of God's power to heal. But there's no promise in the Bible that if we become a Christian, we are guaranteed physical healing in this life. And yet, we know that in God's sovereign grace, that some Christians are supernaturally healed. What are we to make of all this? What a tough one to nut out. Now, the critical thing that we must do is that we're not just seeking after Jesus just as a healer. This is the problem in this passage. People only wanted to be healed. They only saw Jesus as a healer. And who can blame them? I do not blame them. But we need to seek after Jesus as our saviour and as our Lord, as the only one who can save us from the wrath that is surely coming. Um, that was a problem in tonight's passage. The much more profound issue that all of us face individually, we have to come to that point of decision, is that we all desperately need to be right with God. We do not be wanting to be standing before the holy, majestic throne of God on just judgment day and not be right with God. So this is why Jesus caused such a stir in Mark chapter 2, verse 5. When he told the paralytic, remember his mates opened the hole in the roof, lowered him down gently. And what did Jesus say? Son, your sins are forgiven. The scribes are just going mental in their heads. They're shocked. Only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus knew what they were thinking and he proved he had authority as the son of God to forgive sins by healing that paralyzed man. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. He got up, he picked up his mat and he walked out out of there and people were rejoicing for the marvellous things that they've seen. A couple of other things in terms of interpreting the scriptures. We know that Jesus' ministry was a unique time in history. His proclamation of the gospel was accompanied by many miracles to prove he was sent by God the Father. In the same way, the book of Acts describes what was happening at that time. That very unique time in the early church when the Holy Spirit enabled the apostles to remarkable miracles for the spread of the gospel. But we know that the greatest apostle of all, the apostle Paul, was not here in this era. Uh, if you want to flick over to 2 Corinthians 12, we see that Paul pleaded not once but three times with God for the thorn in his flesh to be removed. We don't know what that was, that thorn in his flesh, but it's sufficiently debilitating that Paul pleaded with the God of the universe, can you please remove this thorn in the flesh? But we see what God's response was to Paul in verses 9 and 10 of 2 Corinthians 12. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul accepted that word from the Lord. And this is how Paul responded. Therefore, I will boast. I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. What a challenge, David. Do you boast gladly of your weaknesses? Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That is faith. 
Paul could only have God's strength and power when he completely depended on Jesus in his own weakness. This is the key to spiritual strength. So I hope it's clear to everyone that it's unbiblical to expect that God will heal every Christian who asks in faith to be healed in this age. But does that mean then that we shouldn't ask to be healed? Can you see how delicate this is? I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. I'm sure the elders will have a word with me tomorrow night. So please, uh, yes, correct me if I'm not being biblical. We should ask to be healed. Can I say that? That's really tricky, isn't it? And the reason is because of James chapter 5. And I really look forward to Duncan or Dale preaching in this passage in a month or so's time. James chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Verse 13, is any among you suffering? Let him or her pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Joy should fill our praise, hey? Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. What does that mean to save? Is it the healing or the spiritually saving? We'll have to wait a couple of months for that one. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. So biblically speaking, we are called to pray. We are called to pray for those who are suffering and sick. So there's many great mysteries we don't fully comprehend yet this side of glory. We simply cannot reduce God's powerful actions to a mechanical formula. What blasphemy to even hint at dictating to the almighty God of the universe what he should do. But someone has taken a stab very humbly at some reason why God doesn't heal people. And I hope this might practically give us some food for thought tonight, even as we humbly have confidence in God's providence, in his sovereignty, in his goodness, in his purpose for each of us in our lives. So one reason why we might not be healed is a lack of faith in King Jesus, that he can indeed heal us. Do we believe in a God powerful enough to heal today? Or do we put God in a box? Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith glorifies God. He loves having people with a great faith in God. Because it involves self-denial. We're not relying on ourselves, how smart we are, or how good-looking we are. Any of our own resources, we're putting our faith in Jesus. This is tricky because I am so far to the furthest away from our charismatic brothers and sisters. But this is something that I can learn. They have a very big view of God. God is powerful. He is majestic. He is awesome. He can do anything. So they ask in great faith for his will to be done. Why don't we do that? We pray according to his will to be done. Let's have a big faith in the only God of the universe. Second hindrance that may prevent healing, is there any sin that we secretly nurse in our hearts? 99% of our hearts, yep, all devoted to the Lordship of Jesus. Is there something that we just secretly nurture and cherish in our hearts? Not this muscle that pumps here, but you know, the core of our being. What did the psalmist say in Psalm 66, 18? If I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. 
Sin is serious. It's serious. Do we hate our sin? Do we want to put our sin to death? It's ugly, it's horrible, it's a struggle. But that's what Romans 8.13 exhorts us to do. You know, Romans 8 is one of the best chapters in the whole Bible. Just brilliant. But Romans 8 is written to Christians. It says, if you live according to the Spirit, put to death the works of the flesh. It's written to Christians, Romans 8.13. The third thing is, sometimes we don't even ask for someone to be healed. We actually have to ask humbly in prayer and all reliance on God. Sometimes we do not have because we do not ask. So it's so tricky, isn't it? I'm walking on eggshells. You know, what happens if God you know, doesn't want to heal this person? I better not ask God to heal this person. We just need great wisdom uh, in what we do here. So let's pray with fervent faith that in his great mercy that God might heal the sick if it is according to his will. But what happens if we do all these things? We have great faith in God. We repent of all of our sin. We're putting it to death day by day by the power of the Holy Spirit. We humbly ask God to heal us. What happens then if we are not healed? This is where our faith hits the road. The rubber hits the road, sorry. We are called to trust God no matter what happens. To be desperate for him. To recognize our need for him. In some mysterious way that we don't fully understand, just as Paul was not healed, there too can be some purpose for us not being healed. That's a very, very, very hard word when you are going through suffering. I do not say that very lightly at all. It is not easy and we need to be exceedingly careful. But sometimes God wants us to treasure Jesus more than anything else in this world. This world is not our home. This world is passing away. We look forward to the home of righteousness, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride beautifully prepared for her groom. We look forward to the new heavens and the new earth, a physical earth, the new creation where everything is designed as it was always intended to be, our new resurrection bodies. Um, God wants us to treasure Jesus more than anything else in this world that's passing away. To trust that he is indeed good, despite our circumstance. He wants us to know the blessing of growing spiritually in him through our fellowship by the Holy Spirit. To grow in our knowledge of God through the word of God. To be completely and utterly relied upon him. To grow in holiness without which no one can see the Lord. I'm so challenged by what Paul said. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content. I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So what should we do? What should we do? Let's keep praying in faith. Let's keep growing in our walk with Jesus. Let's maximise the benefits of depending on Jesus. Let's be desperate for Jesus and be longing for his appearing, to be speeding its coming, as 2 Peter says. As Paul said in Romans 8.18, to go back to that wonderful chapter again, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us.
Let's just pray that we continue to have a desperation, a desperation to know Jesus, not only as our healer, but as our saviour and as our Lord as well. We need God's help to do that, so let's pray together. Our gracious Father, we thank you so much for the compassion and mercy that you displayed through sending your son into this world, for the compassion that Jesus had in the crowds who harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, just for the compassion and love that Jesus had, that in his grace he healed those all who had faith in him. We know that today that you are the same yesterday, today and forevermore. We know that we hear accounts in Australia and all around the world of accounts of people being supernaturally healed where there's no other explanation. We confess we don't understand why sometimes people are healed and why people aren't healed. But we pray that we would focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation that will be fulfilled when he appears. We long for that day. We know that that day is drawing near. We want to speed its coming. We look forward to the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness. Father, I pray particularly for those brothers and sisters in our very congregation here tonight, going through tough times, who are suffering with chronic illness. Be their comfort, Lord. Strengthen their faith in you. Help us to know how to love them well, to serve them well, to have deep compassion. Father, we need your grace, we need your wisdom, we need your discernment, we need your help by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.